1: me. I'm not a thug. I don't put my hands no on people. No one called you a thug. You
0: are projecting on yourself. I'm right. telling you, by you telling so people that I tried to, to fight is you, your next. that's painting me as a thug. You're next. Hold on. I need I need a Charisse moment. Is on the phone. I need everyone to be quiet. Sharice. Yes, love. At the dance studio, did you put one finger on me to prevent me from touching Wendy? Stand out. ten toes down. Everything I say, on. I stand on. I'm standing Period. on. I'm standing on. I'm standing I stand on. on. I'm standing what on. What you're not going to do, I'm what, you're, gonna do, I'm what you're not going to do, I'm is right I- Now, thank you. Okay. I love you, too. Bye. So why the lies? My truth, the lies. your truth. She just Yo, said she didn't. Horrible. horrible. Robin. You are horrible. Why you are you yelling? Because you are horrible. Maybe you should control your mom. I don't give up I don't give up I don't give, give up <laughs> Welcome to another episode of Everyone's Business But Mine, with me, Cara Berry. It's Friday, and as you know, lately that means we're all about the housewives. And uh, yeah, this week we're doing Potomac and Salt Lake City. I'm going to start off with Potomac this week, but actually before we get into the housewives, I want to get into some housewives adjacent news. Ugh, Mon? You got some explaining to do, Juan Dixon. So, uh, this news article just dropped, gosh, like yesterday, and uh, it's juicy, you guys. So, uh, Juan Dixon is, you know, uh, husband, question mark? Fiance, question mark? Boyfriend, question mark? To Robin Dixon, housewife of Potomac, and uh, he is also the head coach of the Coppin State basketball team. So, a former Coppin State basketball player has filed a lawsuit against university naming key staff, including Juan Dixon. So his name is I, it's spelled IBN. So I'm going to assume it's Ivan. I'm, I'm not sure where, which other direction to go with that, but uh, forgive me. If that's not how you pronounce it. But uh, Ivan Williams says that Juan failed to act when he disclosed to him that Lucian Brownlee, a director of player development, was allegedly tormenting and harassing him into sexual acts. The suit claims that uh, Williams knows, quote, by information and belief that Brownlee is behind an elaborate sexual assault scheme. Williams says that he sent... Uh, Someone he believed to be a woman's sexual images of himself under the guise of a budding romance. But the catfisher soon turned to be a blackmailer threatening to use images unless Williams fulfilled deviant requests. And when Williams refused to comply with the request, the blackmailer leaked the sexual photos to the staff and team. So essentially this former player is accusing a staff member of being behind the uh, catfishing slash blackmailer. Um, he's, you know, obviously saying he's not. And where one lies in all of this is just straight up negligence that he knew about all of this. He was aware of it and he did nothing uh, in order of... terms of like this player's safety or like trying to uh, enact any sort of disciplinary action uh, against uh, Brownlee. So yeah, wild. He really, that's like really bad. I mean, is it like a direct situation? No, but also the absence of acting. That's really bad. You're a head coach. You're in a leader position and you're, Player, you're is saying that they're being tormented by a staff member who's you know above them, and you do nothing that's not great, not good one. And for what it's worth, the reason why this guy thinks that Brownlee is behind it is because, um, this situation began in the fall of 2018, um, and that by the end of the spring semester of 2019, uh, he the catfisher told. Uh, Williams, that he also had uh, sexual images of Brownlee, who was a senior at the time, but he was going to be coming back the following year as a staff member. So, when he was, uh, you know, announced that he was going to be coming back as a staff member, things kind of quieted down, but then things ramped up the following fall semester. And then this blackmailer, Catfisher person, started to try to convince Williams into engaging into sexual acts with Brownlee and taping them and uh, sending them to him as blackmail. And he was like, why would I do that? Like, that's just weird. So this continued from 2018 into like March of 2020. Um, Williams ends up leaving the school and uh, he starts to like advocate for himself by uh, claiming that there had been uh, drug use amongst the basketball players when they were at away games. So they set up a meeting with Juan to discuss the drug stuff and uh And Williams says that he wants to transfer. But according to the suit, it says that Juan was, quote, adamant that Williams should stay with the program despite being helpless to address the drug issue in any meaningful way. And so he comes back to school in the fall of 2020. The blackmailing begins again. And then he's just like paying them dust. He's ignoring these requests. And this, all of this harassment, and then the blackmailer releases these photos, right? And so the next day, Juan calls Williams into the office to speak about this Brownlee guy. So that, Uh, allegation goes on to say that defendant Juan Dixon admitted to the plaintiff that Lucian Brownlee was mentally ill or otherwise emotionally imbalanced and that his history was known to the coach Derek Carter and the school defendant uh, Dixon again confirmed his awareness of coach Brownlee's instability later that same evening in a phone call to the plaintiff's brother and father where defendant Dixon repeated that Lucian was quote sick and had a troubled background so at that point Juan does nothing. So he decides to take it to the university directly. But then he says that it further, like they were also like not really, um, not only rather uh, kind of negligent and dragging their heels about his allegations. They were also having like weird questions about his sexuality and his sexual habits. And so, yeah, uh, this is not good. (laughs) Not great at all. Hopefully Robin and Juan sign that uh, prenup. I don't know if it counts if you're not married yet, but she better not be using her embellished hat money for any of his lawsuits. Not for his lawyer's fees. No, thank you. Anyway, let's talk about this episode of Potomac. Uh, Robin, not not a great episode for her either. So ooh, let's get into it. So we start off, uh, you know, last week, Ashley was riding around talking to her homegirl slash publicist about releasing a, the joint statement that she did with Michael, because the streets already found out that they're separated. So this is now an hour. This episode begins an hour after she had that conversation. So Ashley pumps it over to Candace's house of all places. They're really trying to rekindle their relationship. And Candace says in a confessional, you know, Ashley's the one who really brought me into this group and we're both young and cute. And we came from the pageant world. And we can have a good time when Ashley doesn't want to act like a hoe. (laughs) I really wanted them to get along. I don't know if I feel like they're not getting along in real time. There are just so many tweets that come from Candace's account. It's really hard to keep up with everything and everyone that she's talking about. There's just like a lot of um, um, Candace has to put out a lot of fires. On Twitter, Twitter, she, well, she chooses to put out a lot of fires on Twitter. We'll say that. Um, So it's really just hard to keep up with all the the drama, as Sonia Morgan says. But I feel like she said that she and Ashley are not in a good place. And that's a bummer because that was one of the the aspects of this season that I was looking most forward to them reconciling and getting it better because they could be a dream team if they would just let it go. So Ashley said last week that she hadn't been able to get a hold of Michael, but since then she says she tells Candace that she has, but he basically was like, I need 24 hours click. And that was it. And she says that she just feels like Michael's probably upset because he feels like he doesn't have any autonomy, which is (laughs) truly a laughable concept. Like, yeah, um, you take people's autonomy all the time. So, look at how the turntables then the topic switches to Chris and Ashley asks if he plans on apologizing to Giselle but Candace is like uh no not only that he's trying not to even hang out with the group anymore honestly because he it's dangerous out here and then she tries to like get Ashley to kind of spill some tea about Giselle she's like I'm not dealing with Giselle Over the years that I've known her, she's been known to scheme and plot and plan all sorts of shenanigans around people in the group. And then she turns to Ashley and says, and you've known her longer and you know her better than I do. Wink, wink. And so Ashley's like, yeah, I mean, Giselle does have some of my secrets in her box. And Candace is like, and speaking about that, let's let's open one of those. Secrets out because I heard that you were hanging out with a hockey player and you were on a date with him. Ashley is like, Excuse me. She falls out of her chair. <laughs> and then she says, It really wasn't a big deal. She just went on a date, a dinner date with some friends. It was super casual. But you know, she's out here being cute and you know, biracial or whatever and having a good time. Then she says in a confessional that, oh God, that. She compares every guy to Michael. <laughs> she compares every guy to Michael, and it's like if people aren't on his level of conversation, because he could talk about anything. You want to talk about aliens with Michael? He's got you. And if they can't do that, then it's like, what's the point? You know? I would like to just pause real quick to talk about Ashley's confessional look. It's a blue like satin blazer with uh, just got a bang, a bang and like a long, uh... we're doing a lot of chunky layers, chunky highlights on, on the show. Like people really went in on, on Giselle for her look, but things are happening with other cast members. I'm, I'm noticing it and it's not great. I don't know who told them. I mean, I know that like the 90s and 2000s are back, but I don't think we put on the, I didn't see anything on the docket about chunky highlights. I didn't see it. Maybe I missed the day. I don't know. But anyway, back to Ashley's look. She's wearing this uh, diamond. You guys hear the wind of the air quotes against the microphone. Uh, Diamond choker. It's like two layers of circular diamonds and then one big like a bauble. At the bottom, what y'all? What? Who found that on on Amazon? Who found it? Who found it on Amazon under quinceanera choker on sale for twenty six thirty five? Who did that? D- let me know, please DM me. Then back to Ashley and Candace's conversation. Both of them kind of low key exposed Karen again. Which really is like a, a a theme that happens every season. Somebody outs Karen for having a little, um, what is she called? Eye candy? In the form of uh, other places in her body. Um, but they both kind of out Karen for the rumors that they've heard about her. And um, some gentleman that she goes out of town with who's not Ray. And then we see the flashback of Sharice that her probably last reunion saying that Karen has a Mr. Blue eyes that she's been spotted out with. And Oh Lord. So then Candace says that she's excited about Ashley's much anticipated, much anticipated new season of life, which was shade, but she says in the confessional that Ashley seems to be doing fine. And frankly, she doesn't need old balls. She deserves young, tight balls. And she's manifesting a new chapter for Ashley. Maybe she put some ball dust on it. Like Ashley put the baby dust on her name to help her get pregnant. Maybe you should find some ball dust somewhere. I don't just suggesting thing. You don't have to do that. But um, you know, I actually think it worked, right? Because here she was spending her weekend with Luke doing the cuffit challenge with uh Lindsay and Carl at a Capitals game just last weekend. So we got I don't you know, I can't speak to the, the state of Luke's balls but i mean they certainly have to be better if the if the outside we're judging the outside by the state of one's balls i mean my god can you imagine what michael darby's balls look like and by comparison luke's probably looks like the fucking i don't know i i I don't know (laughs) but i think it worked the point is that luke plays hockey and that he's probably got much fresher balls than than Michael. So she did it. We all did it. Anyway, back to somebody's husband and their old balls um Mia talks to G about opening up the 25th practice of the joint I'm guessing their chiropractic franchise and I just keep wondering like where are we with the business right because right before the season began like two days before the season premiered Mia announced on Instagram that G's family Gordon's family his brothers took all the businesses and all the money and she's off the payroll and they're being like left out of the company so ooh Every time they talk about their jobs, I'm like, Do you guys still have one? What's going on there? I don't really remember what they talked about. Oh, you know what? A moment that was like kind of interesting to me is that G brings up Mia's illness and her lumps, right? And he says something along the lines of like, Something about, like, your mystery illness or something. And you could see the look in Mia's eyes, like, are you about to call me a liar like everybody else has? Like, she was nervous that he was going to be, like, call her situation into question. But then he was like, no, I just you know, we've been able to cross a lot of things out like cancer. And I just like wonder, you know, what we're going to be finding out in the future, but I don't know. Something in her face was like, what is he about to say? That was weird to me. Did you guys pick up on that? But anyway, then something even more dubious happens because we were all under the impression that Mia and G met at this nightclub, strip club, not strip club, where the ladies are waitresses or strippers, depending on Mia's mood, and they wear full ball gowns that they met there. But she says, cause she's introducing, inviting all the girls to Miami. Right. And she says that her adoptive mother lived in Miami. So she like had her formative teen years there. And I should have known. I should have known. There is a very specific energy. I just talked about this with princess. I, I was on her Patreon. Um, Uh, we were talking about her, we were talking about married to medicine. And I was talking about Dr. Heavenly, and how she's from Miami. And that's just like a very specific, indescribable vibe. But once Mia said she was from Miami, I was like, Oh, that's it. That's what it is. But she says that, okay, first, she asks, G. Do we need to discuss the rules because you know it get, how it gets down in the dirty, dirty South, which felt like code. And he was like, oh yeah, like, hmm like I'm picking up what you're putting down, right? And then she says in a confessional that she and Jacqueline, like 15 years ago, went on a trip to Miami and it was a girl's trip that G crashed, even though he was happily married. And that they... Had sex on the beach in front of like a bunch of people who knew what they were doing, and, and she basically did everything except for um getting into to a handstand. So well, we gotta keep the story straight. This is why people don't believe her, and it's like I you know, I understand why people were hesitant to believe the cancer situation, but girl. Do you know what I mean? Let's talk about something way more wholesome. Giselle takes her daughters to get mani-pedis and they're planning the super sweet 16 for the twins. (laughs) These girls just, they do not give their mother a break and I love it. They're always clocked in to check her and I am here for it every single time. So first, Giselle is getting a pedicure, right? So she's getting in the chair, you know, they put the little towel down and that little like leather bar where you put your feet before you put it into the tub, so... (laughs) She takes a towel and like dabs her face with it. Cause she thought it was shiny. And they're like, mom, that is so nasty. <laughs> please." Even... And just the look in Giselle's face was like, Oh no, <laughs> they're coming for me again. <laughs> I love them. I love their whole relationship. It's really, it's like a truly a highlight of this show. So, um, then, <laughs> then Grace, who's the oldest daughter, uh, tells the twins that Giselle's planning a speech. And they're like, oh, God, Mom, you get 90 seconds, okay? And Giselle's like, but that's just 45 for the both of you. They're like, that's fine. Just generalize. Don't worry about it, right? So (laughs) they start talking about uh, Pastor Jamal Bryant, their father, and listen, I will roast him in a different arena, not in a scene with their child uh children. Um, but you know. Giselle's talking about how he's like present for all of these moments, these big moments with them, and it's like, good. Great. But never mind. I'm not gonna say anything. You know what I will say though is I wonder what his relationship is like with his other kids, you know? Cause it's you know, He's got a lot. He's got a lot of flying around to do. A lot of uh, 16th birthdays are coming up on Jamal's calendar (laughs) in the next few years. I just have questions. Is he at all of them? Or is he just at theirs? Just wondering. I'm actually genuinely curious about that. Like, do people... A, does Jamal have social media? I wouldn't know. I refuse to follow. B, do people see him claiming his other children in a public space the way he does with Giselle's kids. I'm like, I'm genuinely curious about that. Let me know if you, if you know the answer to that. Um, so then (laughs) Giselle tries to show the girls her pedicure and Grace is like, mom, please put your foot down. (laughs) Do not expose your toes into this, in this pedicure spot, please. You're embarrassing us. And that was it. It was great. It It was a great time. Robin then visits a family attorney. And here we go again with another chunky highlight. Robin, who's putting these units in her head? I honestly, like quite as it's kept every, all this season, these women, all of their wigs have been just just a millimeter lifted above their, their scalps. And I'm just not sure what's happening because it's happening to all of them, maybe with the exception of Wendy. Um, but I have questions. I have questions. Uh, I have questions about this specifically. It really looks like Robin found this from under her bed or something. <laughs> just like was like, well, just sew it in. It it's brushed enough. I'll I'll make it work. It, it wasn't great, but anyway, she's at the family attorney and she's talking about prenup stuff and how she doesn't want her businesses like the podcast or the hat stuff to be included into any sort of you know community pot that she and Juan have for their uh prenup but also she talks about an infidelity clause and says hey yeah I mean that was the reason why we divorced in the first place and I'm a realist and you know I think Juan doesn't want to do that but Who's to say, but she also says that she feels like Juan is going to be most pissed off about her, including that in the prenup, which Juan is like an interesting guy. It seems like he really has a hard time with, you know, quote, bringing up old shit. And that's annoying. It really is. I actually listened to Robin and Giselle's podcast last week, and they were talking about um, something. But they got on the topic of communication styles, specifically between Robin and Juan, and how Juan has a tendency to walk away. And we've seen it happen many times on the show. And that's also what he does in real life but when the cameras aren't there. And that's just like kind of their dynamic that she knows that just like give him space. And usually he will come back and apologize and be like he, on, in a different headspace about the situation. I personally don't know if I could handle somebody who just doesn't want to talk about their past stuff. Like I could understand how, If you agree to move forward in your relationship with somebody after they've cheated on you, after they've done some sort of deal-breaking thing, and you choose to be continuing to be with them, you do have to let things go and kind of move on. But also, the other person has to be able to say, like, hey, because you cheated on me in the past, I might want an infidelity clause and you not act like they're being an asshole, you know, for that. Because you're the one who caused it. Like, Robin should have been able to say to him last week or two weeks ago, hey, you know, our divorce last time was made a little bit more difficult by the relationship that you were in (laughs) without him being, like, angry with her. Like... You can't be mad at her, bro. You're the one who was doing interviews uh, that y'all can find about how in love you were with this woman and how this is the best time of your life and how you basically left Robin to go play, play basketball with Euro- in Europe with your new love of your life, leaving her with two young children. So, you know, <laughs> she could have said that, but she didn't. All right, y'all, let's pick this up. So Ashley, Karen, and Wendy go to the super cute, uh, like, tulip farm to pick flowers. And I just love Karen's just, I don't really care that she doesn't have a storyline. She's necessary for moments where she's talking about how (laughs) she spent $3,000 on uh, uh, tulip embryos for her backyard that didn't flower. And so she's trying to take the bulbs from the farm (laughs) and pretend like that was part of her $3,000 investment. Like, that's beautiful. (laughs) it's hilarious um so Karen gives Wendy advice about Robin and how if you guys want to get to a good place with each other you guys have to take the emotion out of it and like there's just never going to be any sort of resolution until you guys do that Wendy says she's willing to do that on her end but Robin needs to meet her halfway and In order to facilitate that, she's going to be holding an event where they can air out all their differences as a group. And then Wendy says in a confessional that at first she was hurt by being left out of the family fun day. But she can receive that she can be condescending towards people. And then she says that she's going to send a group text to invite everybody. Ashley tells her I think you should send a separate text to Robin and Giselle since you're beefing with them to sort of like be nicer and be like disarming and, and convince them to come. But Wendy's like, no, (laughs) like I'm not doing all that. I'm not giving them all this power and all this energy. They'll get the group text. I will say, Hey, you know, I know we're not all in a good place in the group text with everybody. I'm not sending any uh, side messages to coddle anybody. And I'm with her. And I would like to say that I don't really talk about this on the podcast, and I'll i will I'll tell you why. Uh, there is a lot of conversation about colorism on the show, and I noticed when they brought up Wendy being condescending, there was a flashback in which... <laughs> it was like Wendy being told by Ashley or Giselle or Robin that she's like kind of rah, rah and like up in people's faces, aggressive, that sort of thing. And I can see why in these moments, people feel like it's just very colorist in that what Candace and Wendy get blamed for all the time seems to be given a pass when it comes to Robin and Giselle. Um, i want to like be honest with you guys. This is a little bit of my business. I'm a dark skinned black woman. You know, I have family members of all different shades. And uh, this is not something colorism in my life has never been a thing. It's something that I really had to find out as an older person like as an adult um, it just never was something that was a factor for me it was never there were I don't remember there ever being comments made like negative comments about like you know like my one of my sisters is a lot more light skinned than the other two of us so um, like I just don't ever remember being like oh people treat her differently because she's light skinned or there being any sort of privilege to that that was just never a part of my life it was just not a reality for me. So I'm kind of learning things as I'm watching the show too. And I get it. And I'm not like, maybe I'm missing bits and pieces of beefs. I can't keep up with everything. You know, my mind is just riddled with, you know, a lot of things, but, uh, and mostly they're stupid, but, uh, from my memory, Last season, Giselle and Robin basically created in their heads this storyline that Wendy got plastic surgery because of these cheating allegations with Eddie and some other chick that never really came to fruition. And that I don't really think people believed. Um, That, I think, is, like, a lot more gross. And I don't know. I just feel like, from my memory, like, Wendy was saying things... Now, I will say that Wendy is, comes off as, like, came off definitely in her first season, like, really, like, you know, I have four degrees, I'm better than you guys, like, get a job, you know, whatever shit she was saying. But in terms of, like, personal shit that she did to Robin and Giselle versus things that they've done towards her, I'm kind of on Wendy's side. And granted, maybe I'm forgetting something. But just for my memory, I'm kind of on Wendy's side with this. And, like, in terms of that memory, it's, like, they're more mad at Wendy for saying truths. I guess I'm just talking about Giselle about Jamal than rumors about her relationship with Eddie. Like he is pastor. Holy whore. And that's not Wendy's fault. Like these things were true before you got married to Jamal when he cheated on you before your wedding, when you guys were engaged, it was these rumors in the black community. Certainly had been rolling way before people knew Giselle was even going to be, you know, before Potomac was even a thing, right? This was before we ever saw Jamal on the show. This was during him being on the show. This is after him being on the show. When he admitted to cheating on you, he went on YouTube to admit that, you know, nobody asked him to, he did that himself your daddy was in a hot make situation talking about how he didn't like want, or uh, Jamal and how he won't shit and how he has all these kids everywhere. <laughs> are you mad at your dad? <laughs> like, I don't know. I mean, I just feel like if y'all are going to be firing shots at each other, and I understand she wants to protect her daughters, but like, it is what it is. You can't be like, oh, is this cancer? No cancer. Oh, uh, You know, you're cheating on your husband. Your husband's cheating on you. Like, she wants to call people to the carpet about a lot of stuff, but then when it comes to her stuff, she's like, oh, you guys better keep it cute. And, you know, that's not fair. Like, Robin and Giselle straight up were like, we have decided that Wendy got her titties done because her husband's cheating on her. And even if she says that that's not true, we're choosing not to believe her. Like, that's wild, you guys. (laughs) That's really wild. Oh, Lord. Anyway, um... So, then Wendy says that she's... uh, Oh, sorry. Sorry. Let's go on. Um, So, back at Candace's house, she's having wine time with uh, Chris and her little sister. And uh, Candace is about to be re-releasing Deep Deep Space... deep state deep space uh into deep space deluxe and how she found a single that they're gonna release and they're gonna be doing a video and the feature is gonna be by none other than trina and candace's sister is like her face is like you think she's shocked like i don't have the words for this moment that's fucking cool but then she's like who is trina (laughs) And even Chris is like, you don't know who the baddest bitch is? Like come on you guys <laughs> Never in your life, Candace's sister, let uh Chris outblack you. He outblacked you.
1: From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com.
0: Don't do it. Don't let that happen again. I will say that she did say on Twitter um, that she does know who Trina is and that she's actually really embarrassed that she so that she didn't. So good. Good. I'm glad. Anyway, then Candace reads the text that Wendy sent out to all the women about the burn session. And she's reading it. She's like, oh, you know, uh, Wendy said, well, be able to speak uninterrupted. That's a lie. (laughs) She's not looking forward to this at all. Chris says that this is only going to be working if everybody comes from a good place. And she's like, yeah, and that's not possible. So what are we we even doing? then Wendy and Ashley ride together to the burn session. And Wendy talks about her journey with kidney stones. you guys the flashback where she was telling Candace about her kidney stones so she gets them from not drinking water because she's too busy on MSNBC and at Johns Hopkins and she just doesn't drink water and she's telling (laughs) she's telling Candace this and Candace is holding an olive in like on I think in between some chopsticks right and she Holds up the olive and she goes oh yeah Chris gets them too. I kept one and it was about half the size of this olive. Oh I almost passed out. No. No. How did because I've never had kidney stones but I know how you expel them. Half the size of an How did he do oh. Prayers up. I don't even have a dick and my dick hurt from that. Anyway, um, Wendy says that she had a real come to Jesus moment because earlier that week, her mom actually got admitted to the hospital after a routine, uh, doctors check, check checkup. And she just doesn't want to be in that position. So then we find out that the rest of the ladies are actually riding together in a sprinter, which Mia calls dusty later, which actually looked pretty nice to me. It was like all nice leather. looks nicer than the one that Jen got run up in, in in Utah. (laughs) I'll say that, but Robin, so they're talking about it and, uh, Robin wasn't supposed to come. Apparently very few people even responded to the group text. So Mia's like, I didn't know who was showing up. And, uh, Robin says that the text was basically the fakest thing she's ever read. You're the fakest bitch I've ever met. And basically she's only showing up because she wants to be nosy. I know that's right. (laughs) I feel you. All the ladies arrive and I start looking at like the wood paneled walls, the gravel outside, the wine barrel decor. And I'm seeing, I'm getting nervous because we know what happened last time. You were in in an environment like this. And Candace also picked up on this. And she goes, you know, Wendy, you know what happens when you send wild boars to the winery. Why would you do this to me? (laughs) Why would you subject me and my magical blackness to another winery situation? Disaster is afoot. The bitch is funny. She is so funny. And, like, we can't just... (sighs) My toxic trait is that like if you're funny enough, I'm probably going to give you like a, even a little bit of a pass. Like you can't even deny that even our last president had some f- f- jokes. He made you laugh at some point in that 4 years. We you can't deny that. He did. He did. Like remember when he said that Barney Frank's uh, nipples were protruding on the this the floor of, of Congress and how it was really disrespectful. <laughs> Uh, Let me not give him too much. Anyway, everybody sits down. And the first thing that Giselle brings up is all the memes that people have been posting about Ashley's divorce. And so they show a few of them on the screen. And some of them have (laughs) pictures... They're so funny. There's one with a picture of uh, Sheila, who's Ashley's mom, dancing on a dance floor. Uh, There's another person who says, Ashley Darby waited exactly five years for a renegotiated prenuptial agreement to take effect before filing for separation. And then at the bottom was a gif of Kenya Moore saying, spend his cash, girl. (laughs) The last one was the most funny because it was Ashley doing a TikTok dance and somebody just put the caption, Ashley Darby gets that divorce settlement money. (laughs) Like, this is what she's doing. And she's, like, popping her pussy. (laughs) They were funny. They were funny. Ashley says, yeah, like, it's really nice to get the support, but not really at the expense of the father of my children. So, And then she says that Michael's not really talking to her at this point. And they had a FaceTime call with the kids. But as soon as the kids walked away, Michael just hung up. So not great for them. Giselle's actually kind of being supportive to Ashley in the moment, but she says in a confessional that the trolls are really trolling Michael and she's not really mad at them for it, but she's been there with Pastor Holy Horse, excuse me, Jamal, and it doesn't feel good to know that everybody thinks your husband's a creep. And then we get some tweets about Jamal Bryant popping up on the screen about how Jamal, Jamal really thinks it's okay to donate sperm to Sister Abigail, Sister Deborah, Sister Shanice, Ebony, Kayla, Pam... (laughs) Ada, Betty <laughs> and then even Wendy tells or Wendy tells them the purpose of the burn session right <clears throat> which is that they each get a notebook we go one by one whoever's got beef with that person you write it down read it out they accept it take ownership of it and then you burn it in this like uh, tea light candle uh, there's a lot of steps just like do we have to do all this you know like I know you're a professor, but I didn't sign up. I didn't sign up for this. Giselle says in a confessional that she feels like this is rich coming from Wendy because she hasn't been accountable for anything in the two years that they've known each other. But then Wendy says, listen, it takes two to tango. And that Giselle needs to take accountability as well. Um, Yeah, again, I just don't know. Y'all are going to have to remind me if there was something big that Wendy did to... Giselle that was in the ballpark of what she was claiming about Wendy and Eddie. Let let me know. (laughs) Wendy really cracked me up because she volunteers herself as tribute first and is like, you know what? I'm going to add another layer onto this. And you think she's going to be like, do something that's going to be like, okay, this is to show how serious I am. But then she says, if anybody doesn't have anything bad to say, just Give, a, give me a compliment. How about we do that? So, <laughs> Just leave it on the floor if anybody wants to just be nice to me. We can do that. Thank you. Ashley goes first with Wendy. And she gives her a compliment and says, you know, I feel like you usually have a wall up. But it's coming down now. And my wish is that things can continue. Candace and Karen are also really nice to Wendy. But Mia starts off by saying, okay, well, you might want to burn mine. So Mia says that Wendy's been dismissive of her and Wendy's like, "Uh uh-huh, I received that, but we do have to move on. So can I just go ahead and burn this? (laughs) This might be what Mia's talking about, Wendy. Robin doesn't write anything down, but she's like, Wendy, at this point we're just oil and water and I'm fine with that. So Giselle says, well, I'm just going to ditto what Robin and Mia said. And... (laughs) Said Wendy you went on the I hate Giselle train for a year and then you tried to hug me after so I'm I'm good on you Wendy I really am so then Ashley asked Wendy did you hear everything did you receive everything that was said to you and Wendy says you know I do own the role I played in making you guys feel where we're oil and water and Robin just rolls her eyes and then Candace tries to take up for Robin by saying, well, I feel like Robin has been pretty specific with you, Wendy, about what has upset her. And Wendy's like, okay, but I can only address what she put on the paper. (laughs) So Giselle's like, we're not writing soliloquies here. Like we can't write down everything that you did to us. And good God. (laughs) Candace asks Robin what her issue is. And Robin says, I just don't want Wendy to keep telling people that I tried to fight her. There was a flashback where Wendy had told, I think Ashley was there, um, that Robin had approached her at the dance studio to the extent that she had to be restrained. Robin says that she's now being painted as a thug and she doesn't like that. And Wendy's like, okay, I didn't call you a thug, but you did have to be held back. Maybe you were too drunk and you don't remember, but you did. And this is like, okay, well, this might be where the condescending shit comes in with you. Like, I can't rock with you on this stuff, Wendy. Wendy so Ashley tells Wendy listen they need to dispel that but Wendy stands in it and is like you know that's my truth that uh, she did it she did have to be restrained Robin starts yelling she's not a thug nobody had to touch me nobody had to restrain me and then she gets for Sharice on FaceTime so Robin makes everybody be quiet I got Sharice on the phone y'all and Sharice at the dance studio, did anybody have to put a finger on me? So we see the footage in slow motion and like the Zabruder film, you guys. So Wendy's yelling at Robin to stand 10 toes down and what she said. And Robin gets up and says, I'm standing on it. I'm standing on it. I'm standing on it. Sharice, so first puts her arm up by... Wendy's waist right so or excuse me by Robin's waist so she can't move forward but then Sharice gets up puts both her hands on Robin's shoulders and Robin kind of moves back a few paces so when Robin asks you Sharice did you have to put a finger on me Sharice says no (laughs) I didn't put my hands on you Robin so Giselle starts screaming about how Wendy's a liar she's lying Robin's screaming you're horrible Horrible! Look at you. L- listen to what you did. Lies, the lies, all the shit. Charisse is just on the phone, just staring. <laughs> and I really had to imagine, like, what is Charisse doing? Because it looked like maybe she was coming out of like a, like a nursery, you know, like a Lowe's or something like that. And uh, just like I just imagine her like standing with her arm extended, watching like robin just like the ceiling just flailing around as robin screaming about how horrible wendy is just like okay what's going on (laughs) i gotta go is she am i getting paid for this does she get paid for a facetime call that makes it on camera let me know karen finally speaks up in a confessional says we went straight to hell in a handbasket from jump they weren't even following her directions the evil spirit of the winery belongs to giselle and robin today So Ashley then changes the subject and she turns toward Candace to tell her, girl, a friend reached out to me and she was at the bar getting a drink and Chris came up to her and he was being a little flirtatious. So Candace, her immediate thought is, um, you were in my house two days ago. Why did you not have this private conversation with me when you came over? And Ashley says, I didn't know. I found this out since I left your house. And then Candace is like, OK, so you couldn't have called me, texted me, approached me. Now she says she wanted to do it in person. And then Candace kind of like, eh, eh. she says, well, I told you stuff in private. So people tried to come for her on Twitter and say, oh, no, you brought that conversation about Michael uh, being at the W on camera. But Candace says. I brought it up on camera because we were on vacation and I found out on camera and, you know, I think she's like, I did it as privately as I could. Mm, debatable. <laughs> but but I see what she's she's saying. Like y'all are trying to work on a relationship with each other and Ashley, you already said to her earlier this season that the reason why you were coming to her about uh, Chris DMing you was because she told you Please do this to me, like, with me one-on-one. Don't be doing that shit on camera. And then here Ashley goes, doing that shit on camera. She could have had a private conversation, but she chose not to. So Ashley makes some comment about how Candace wants to call Michael a predator every which way she can, and Candace whispers, Well, it's documented. Is it not true? And Ashley's like, Ashley, it's not true. And it's been proven not to be true in the court of law. (laughs) Okay, Erica Jane. So then Candace says you guys don't have enough going on in your own life. Y'all want to bring drama, drama to my door. This is now the third time that somebody's come to me in the group to tell me some bullshit about my husband. But Ashley asked Candace, why are you being defensive? <laughs> it's like, uh, cause there's a pattern of you guys now doing this like several times in a row and I'm not going to ignore it. And this might be like some more color. shit is like, what did you think she was going to be like, okay, okay. No, that's what you do with Michael. That's not going to be everybody's reaction because that's not everybody's reality because she knows this shit is a lie. So then Ashley asked Candace, has anybody ever said anything about Chris in the past? And she's like, no. She's like, well, don't you think that maybe there's a chance that something's changed recently with his behavior? Because Mia said that he was staring at her at the Spring Fling Celebration of Life taco event. Uh, Cut to... Chris not staring at Mia at the spring frame sing what taco, whatever. Okay. So <laughs> uh so Mia's like, well he was um you know, I won't say that it was sexual, but he was staring at me. <laughs> okay, thank you, Mia. <laughs> then why did you say anything? And why did you be like, oh well I got another story for you, Robin? See, this is why Mia, Mia plays too much. And, like, a lot of the time it's funny. <laughs> but Mia will just say anything. She will say anything. And then what makes it funnier is that when she gets caught, she's like, oh, sorry. You're so right. I lied. You're right. I did. I did lie. <laughs> what is wrong with that girl? That is... That, that's the Miami jumping out. That's the Miami. Um. So the episode ends. Honestly, you guys... Forgive me, my DVR cut out, I think, about 45 seconds before it actually ended. So I didn't get to see the end of what Candace and Ashley were getting into it about. But Ashley um, says, just know that the pendulum always goes the other way and it doesn't feel good, is it? And so I think Candace started to be like, oh, you're just doing this because michael got like you're just getting back at me for the things that i said about michael so we'll see because obviously this was a a to be continued know that i'm excited y'all good episode all right let's move on to salt lake city away in a manger no crib for
1: his bed the little lord jesus laid down his sweet head the stars in the heaven look down where He lay, and little Lord Jesus, no crying He made. Is that it? Yeah, it's okay. well, that's beautiful. Thank Thank you. Really good. Really beautiful. Really good. Thank so you. Are we good? Yeah, you okay. were great.
0: Thanks for coming. Woo! Okay, where do I
1: exit? Yeah. Here?
0: Through here? Oh, in the saints. I can't do it. <laughs> I was going to try to sing when the Saints go March Again. I can't. It gave me the ick. I gave myself the ick. Couldn't do it. Alright. Welcome back to the Real Housewives of Salt Lake City recap. Don't be mad at me, you guys. Alright, here's what happens. I'm recording. I don't have my charger. I've got uh, limited space to talk, so we're just going to have to hit some beats, alright? Me and Candy are going to go down to the studio and puerto rico and and get some beats all right just the highlights of this episode of which honestly there were many so we gotta get through this very quickly we're still at the um (laughs) at the choir audition everybody taking the shit so seriously you guys this show is great what you need to do is just lean into the fact that like this is just like a bunch of whirling dervishes just doing whatever Everybody's on their own journey, whether they're healing or not healing they're feeling their feelings or not feeling their feelings and healing in the feelings. Um, all of them are doing everything all at once. They are all performing at high octane levels of speed. And we have to appreciate them. Like nothing, of, none of what happens makes sense. <laughs> nothing that happens in this is real. And this is why I think like i was talking about how I feel like Lisa Barlow is not a real person. And th- this is why. Because like, how is this y'all's real life? Okay, really, I got to talk about it. Okay, so Jen is still seething because Angie H. has joined up with Whitney in what Jen refers to as some Dollar Tree leotard. uh, And she's feeling some type of way at Heather because of it, for whatever reason. I'm not sure why Jen is also mad at Heather because Heather doesn't even know that Angie H. is there. Nor did she invite... Well, maybe she invited her, but I don't think she knows that Angie H. is there. Um, Meredith... Then presents her first hopeful, AKA the gentleman in the unhinged sweatshirt to perform when the saints go marching in. And I just had to crack up laughing because I feel like there's no possible way on earth that that was his first or even 10th choice for his performance. He heard what Angie and Whitney were doing and was like, yeah, I'll do when the saints go marching into because first of all, why would that be the song? There's nothing about that song. Like, I don't really know much about music technicality and singing and stuff, but there's really nothing impressive about being able to sing when the Saints go marching in. I feel like it's pretty much a song that everybody can sing and you're safe regardless of whether or not you're tone deaf. <laughs> so why would three of y'all choose that song? Is that the national song of Utah? The, the state song of Utah? Would have been a better joke if I said it right the first time. We'll move on. (laughs) Also, did you guys notice that Angie and Whitney had a trophy with them? A trophy that was never explained. But honestly, it does ask the question of do Heather do Whitney and Angie know what a choir is? Like I just don't understand what they're doing. Um, So Angie K and Dana are outside talking shit, AKA auditioning to be on the show. So Angie H approaches Dana to apologize for what went down the first time they met at uh, Heather's ski charcuterie fun time. Right. But Angie K. interrupts them immediately about how she wanted to like Angie H. Angie, I really wanted to like you, and I really wanted to give you a chance, but, you know, I just feel like if you're going to be talking behind Lisa's back, you also shouldn't be going up in front of her and, like, try to hug her. And, okay, at this point I was like, oh, we've got some new Supremes here. Angie K. and Angie H. have now... Not ascended, but descended into Kim G and Kim D of Real Housewives of New Jersey. Like, it was as clear as day to me. Angie K is Kim G because she's always trying to act like a soldier for somebody on the cast and hold people accountable for their behavior, none of which has anything to do with her. And Angie H is Kim D, who is ruining the genuine relationships that she had off the show because she's thirsty and embarrassing. Okay. So there it is. Angie H claims up and down. She had no idea that Chris opened that account. She had, she didn't do it. He did it. She didn't know about it. And her hands are clean. Right. Um, But Angie K is like, that's not true. And I know I have the receipts. So she says in a confessional that 30 seconds after these messages were posted, Angie H. liked him. So it was clear that she knew about this account, right? Now, why the fuck you know about this Angie K.? I mean, I guess Lisa told her, but like, girl, do we need to be a soldier for Christ this bad? Then the most hilarious thing happened, which is that Angie H. and Angie K. are going back and forth about this Finsta, And Whitney is hearing about this in real time. And there's a point where she's like shaking her head very subtly and like talking to somebody off camera. And I feel like somebody in production was like, did you know about this? And she was like, no, I, I don't know what's going on. So then (laughs) Angie K is like, Telling Angie H, if you're married to somebody, you're associated to them, what they do represents you. And then a picture of Chris and Angie pops up on the screen. And Whitney says in a confessional, wait a minute. You're telling me that Chris, a grown-ass man, and by the way, Chris's uh, name says grown-ass man under it. Um, You're telling me that Chris, a grown-ass man, made a Finsta account to troll Lisa? I feel really icky and silly right now being in a Matching costume with Angie. I just want to put my top hat over on my head and I wish that I could just disappear. Yo, that shit was so funny. (laughs) It's rare that people like genuinely are finding things out on camera. I don't think I've ever seen somebody be so embarrassed by somebody else's behavior on reality television. What a treat. What an absolute treat. (laughs) So then Jen comes out to hype... Up the crowd with her bullhorn, and Dana's like uh, Jen, like literally Jen's in the middle of a word, trying to talk to these people, and Dana's like Jen, come here, something happened. A- Angie just confronted Angie. We got to talk to you right now. <laughs> so, they start talking about like you know how Angie H didn't take any sort of accountability. She denied everything, and Jen is pissed. She's like you know I I just like can't even believe this. Angie K is telling Jen, you know, how, like a toddler, not a toddler, but maybe like a four or five, six year old. And they get excited and they want to tell you something. And it's like, they talk really fast and and they're like breathing. It's like, that was Angie K. Just like Jen, listen to what I say. And then I told her this. And then she said that. And she didn't take any accountability. And I told her, when you're married, it's like they're part of you. And so, you know, (laughs) so Jen's like really, really pissed off. And Angie K goes for Angie H again and I was like really for real can you be honest right now and say that you didn't know that Chris did that and Angie's like no and so Jen is like Angie you're full of shit you know what your husband did like Lauren Conrad. you know what you did you know what you did um, Angie says no I didn't and so Jen is like okay well you're smirking right now why are you standing here with a smirk on your face if you didn't do anything this is really hurtful for me so, Angie K by the way has a matching it's like truly like Mario Wario uh, Luigi Waluigi it's Jen in this fuchsia outfit with Angie K also in a fuchsia outfit with Angie H and Whitney in these matching gold outfits it's truly wild <laughs> and I, who's to say who's Waluigi and who's Wario in this case any any of you guys Any, any of y'all So Angie H. is like, I'm not smirking. And Whitney goes, "Mm, you kind of are. (laughs) Then Whitney says in a confessional that it's just really convenient how Angie H. can just not know or forget things. Like she didn't know about the Finsta that her husband created. Or she totally didn't remember what happened with the conversation about Lisa at the jazz game. Is this a convenient thing? Or does Angie have a memory problem? Great question. Angie has a thirst problem. That's my answer. So, then we go back to Jen. She's trying to tell Angie H. that all of this really hurt her family. But... Angie K is talking so much at the same time that Jen looks and is like, Can you shut the fuck up? This is my family. Like, I'll take care of this girl. Stop it. <laughs> so Jen starts screaming, classic Jen, about how I'm responsible for what Sharif does, and vice versa, and which is a dumb thing to do. Like she gave her she gave Angie H and N right then and there. So Angie goes, Oh, so is Sharif taking shit for all the things that you've done? And Jen screams, I'm innocent. And just a reminder, this uh just letting you know that Jen did plead guilty to federal charges. But anyway, Heather's assistant is watching all of this from afar. And he's like, bitch. Yes. So he's running into Heather. <laughs> Heather Heather's like having a moment with this kid. The kid is literally singing Amazing Grace. And Heather's assistant just walks across the stage. And it's like, "Um, Heather, something's going on outside. You have to come here. There's an issue. So Heather comes outside right as Jen is screaming about how Chris could have chosen any name on Instagram. But he chose Shaw Exposed to be mean to her, to bring her family down. And I feel like we're doing a little too much here. Because I didn't realize that all this... The only work that this Shaw Exposed account did was a singular comment talking shit about Lisa Barlow. So to act like... I. Jen is doing a little much being like oh you uh, you know chose my last name to besmirch every Shah, everywhere even yeah like every everyone you've heard of so uh, yeah it, it's a little much Jen but okay it is a fair question however to be like why did you make a, an account with my last name if the only purpose of it was to talk shit about Lisa like do something that has to do with her So Angie H. gets Heather on her side and is like, do you know my husband to be a bad guy? Heather says no. So Jen is like really pissed now because she had told Heather what happened and Heather acted like this was really bad. But Heather's like, well, you apologize. He took accountability. You guys had this conversation. And Jen says, no, he only admitted to it because I called him out for it. It It's like a little bit different. So Angie's only defense for this is to ask Jen, do you know how many fake Instagram accounts there are? (laughs) and everybody's like you know what just never mind heather walks inside jen walks inside and then jen runs into a bathroom screaming and crying about how pissed off sharif was about this whole situation with chris but yeah heather says in a confessional let's be real here Jen is in a washing machine of turmoil because she's been indicted on federal charges with a prison sentence looming, not because she's being trolled by Chris Harrington on Instagram. Why not both? You know, two things can be true. (laughs) Heather gets back to her audition and just in that moment, Lisa walks in because she says she wants to be present for Heather and also she's probably the only one who can sing. So... Lisa walks in and is like, I'm here for the audition. <laughs> Heather does, had no idea. She's pissed off. And is like, why are you here? So then Lisa takes the microphone. Like, true pageant style. And she goes, I'm here to support Heather Gay on her mission for spirituality her own way. And then just smiles at everybody. <laughs> Again, I beg the question, do any of you guys know what a choir is? You guys heard the song at the top of the episode. She's closing her eyes at points while she's singing. She's like really, really feeling the moment and then when she just ends the first verse and is like, is that it? (laughs) You tell us. I don't know. (laughs) Angie Harrington's me mugging with her leotard and when they ask her in a confessional what she misses most about her relationship with Lisa, she just laughs. She snorts, actually. She actually snorted. At this point, everybody's just trying to avoid each other. It's like, just pinballing around just like trying to bounce from one corner to the other this person's got to avoid this person this one's got to avoid the other person angie's trying to escape um from one person to uh try to grab whitney who's her only friend but she runs into jen who's also pissed off at her and so lisa's finally picking up on here and being like something weird's going on So she goes to find Jen. Jen is telling her uh, about the Chris stuff and she's like, I just think that we all need to get together collectively and I need to talk to Heather. And if Heather continues to side with Angie H, I'm going to tell her to get the fuck out of my life because she's the worst friend ever. (laughs) And then she says that, Heather, she says this in a confessional, Heather's the most, mater- no, sorry, she says this to Lisa actually, she goes, Heather's the most materialistic person, and the only reason why she's fucking with Angie H is because she, <laughs> her fucking fat elf-on-a-shelf husband is gonna feed her and put her on a yacht, but guess what? Jen er, Heather's a cheap motherfucking date. So... <laughs> <laughs> kind of seems like we started the, uh, getting Heather out of our lives already, but okay. In the midst of all of this chaos, Angie and Whitney are doing pirouettes and splits for their audition, which actually goes off well. We really did. And then the, all the ladies get together. Angie H sits right in Heather's lap, which really pisses Jen off. It kind of annoyed me too. Literally, like Jen is, is in a confessional. I mean, this could not be more of a message that Heather's sending me right now. She's literally sitting in your lap. Like you could breastfeed her right now. So <laughs> then, Jen tells Angie H the reason why she's pissed off is because she feels like Chris threw her under the bus to try to protect Angie, and by creating that handle Shaw exposed, he's sending the message that Jen does not matter, but Angie does, which... I don't really know where she's going with this. I, I, just, I I'm just taking it a little too far. <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, I would imagine to most husbands their wife would matter more than this person. any other random woman. Right? Like, I don't think Chris would have an vested interest in protecting you, but there's other arguments to be made about this that are more valid than this one. But I also had a question about this. Because, like, I'm always ready to, like, tell people to leave their husbands or whatever. um, Just men in general. But I wonder, like, how this might make Angie feel. Not that I'm feeling empathy for her, because I feel like, okay, Did she have something to do with that account? Yeah, I'm like 87% sure. But also, Chris seemed very happy about it. So it could be uh, very possible that he did just do this for his own shits and giggles. And Angie honestly didn't know. However, let's just say that Angie 100% had no idea. This is embarrassing. (laughs) Like, Is it so... It's not like you... Can't blow your whole life up and like divorce this man and like you know ruin your whole children's dynamic by uh because he did something embarrassing on the internet, but also this is really embarrassing. So, like, and now you're having to go on national television to defend his like unequivocally embarrassing behavior. Like, this is just the biggest one of the biggest ics that I can imagine. How do you just Like how do you want to fuck him, is my question. Like, how do you still want to fuck your husband after you found out he did something like this? How? I I just... I don't get it. Anyway, Angie H. She's weird as hell, y'all. She's so weird. She's like, Jen, I'm so sorry. I want to see you raw. What? And I appreciate this more than anything. And Lisa Barlow and me, frankly, are both like... (laughs) Is anybody hearing this shit? Y'all hear this? Lisa says in a confessional, this is unbelievable. Your husband created the page to troll me. Where's my apology? Jen then tells Heather that she hurt her because she was being dismissive and Angie starts talking about how, Jen, I've always loved you and I think you're lovely. And at this point, Lisa gets up and is like, I can't even sit here and do this with you guys. So she gets up to leave and says, I'm done with this. You just can't say sorry and keep doing the same thing. Angie tells Lisa, oh, you, you do, uh, you bully people online, too. And Lisa's like, I don't bully anybody online. And actually, I only have one account, and it has my face on it. Angie, you're a fucking liar. <laughs> Heather calls Lisa fake for going on Twitter to talk about her dad's death and tells Lisa she doesn't have any friends. So Lisa goes, uh, wait, 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 did anybody hear this? Did everybody hear this? Heather just said, I have no friends left. Who's not my friend here? Raise your hand. <laughs> and Heather and Angie raise their hand at the exact same moment. Well, Lisa says she was just trying to clear her name and goes up to Heather and um, says, I texted you before your dad passed. And the day that he passed. And yeah, I probably shouldn't have posted that online. And Heather's like, you know, I don't really care that you posted that online. It was public information. But, you know, maybe I did get the days wrong. But I was, you know, our family was surrounding my dad while he was in hospice at the end of his life. And it just felt callous to me. And like, you're trying to cover your ass. And so then Heather says real sarcastically, you know, Don't worry about it. Your name is cleared and I lied and you're the best. So then in a confessional, Heather says, fuck you and your stupid ass text. Lisa, you're missing the big picture. You're clearing your name, but you're totally devastating my feelings. And then everybody leaves. Um, yeah, I mean, I get it. It's like, Lisa's fighting a battle over objective truth versus like optics. Right? like, technically was heather's father still alive yes was he going to be alive much longer no would it be fair of heather to completely be like you did this to me intentionally while my father was dead like i don't think it's necessarily fair of heather to accuse lisa of knowingly knowing that her dad was dead and being like i hope he feels better that seems really fucking evil But also, this is just a situation where you just have to take it on the chin, Lisa, and you just have to take the L on it because it, you know, like, is it technically untrue? Are you technically right? Yes. But like, does it really matter? Do you need to be right that bad? It's just like, do you need to be right that bad? And in this circumstance, personally, I would not need to be. Our first full scene with Meredith is unfortunately her in the bath with Seth. And there's got to be some sort of clause to free us from these couple's bath scenes on the Housewives franchise. I Enough. Enough. The only thing that actually, I take that back. The only thing that soothed me from this moment is the memory that is a, of the last time that Meredith was in the bathtub. She was delightedly, drunkenly, also telling Mary Cosby about Jen getting uh, caught by the feds for the first time. So, you know, give and take, right? So she's trying to have a conversation with Seth about what's going on and how Brooks might be coming to visit soon. But Seth keeps trying, having to stop her and be like, you keep putting your um, big toe in and around and near my taint and butthole and I'm going to need you to stop and I'm definitely going to have to put a rule down on please not uh, titillate my taint area while we're talking about our children now I'm going to have to put my foot down on that one so you know she's able to uh, find a a good place for her big toe and um, she tells him about what's going on with how the fact that Heather's basically in between uh Angie and Jen and their relationship and her friendship with them and how she would really be surprised if this would be the moment out of frankly all the moments that uh Heather jumped off the SS USS Shaw, if you will. Because frankly, she's been really supportive of Jen. Like very supportive. Blindly supportive. Supportive to a fault. Supportive in a way that makes no sense like no sense at all. So <laughs> why now? Why stop now, you know? Heather gets to visit the new beauty lab location. Honestly, I didn't really know that it was a throwaway. Well, we can move on. Highlights only, right? Um then Lisa and John go out to dinner. And um again, highlights only. Not really much going on here. John Lisa's still still very upset about her siblings being divorced. And so John tells her you got to figure out some boundaries and gives her advice from when he got divorced and he was reading these uh, healing books and they were saying, you know, just because you create a boundary, it doesn't mean that you're a bad person or you're like bad at your relationships with people. And then he says in a confessional that, uh, you know, it kind of affects the rest of their house because Lisa takes on all of this emotion. And he also told her that, the more willing you are to take on somebody's burdens, the more of their burden they will give you because it's easier for them. So you really need to watch out for that. And he says, sometimes Lisa picks up the phone and he and baby gorgeous and fresh wolf are just like wishing that she wouldn't. So this all ends in Lisa saying that she wants to go back to church and she puts it in such an interesting way. Like she cries in a confessional. She's like, I'm important to God. And I, just like we're really connected, and it's just scary to me when I feel like we're not in that space. <laughs> it's like if she hadn't said God, I would have thought she would have talked. To, she was talking about John, <laughs> and and. I, i'm not making fun of her but i am i just never like as much of a uh, i grew up in the church and i have a lot of churchy people in my family uh, from pastors to elders deacons on down i've just never heard anybody say like i'm important to god <laughs> in a way that made it seem like you know like a romantic relationship i've heard some creepy comparisons in my day make no mistake but not that one that was the first then we get to this very emotional scene Before I say this, I think that Coach Shaw might have a future in acting. And I don't mean this in a shady way. I just felt like there was he had some chops. He was delivering and I loved it. So Jen is with her box, not box braids, uh, uh, (sighs) cornrows, which, you know she's with her cornrows talking to coach Shaw about the audition and how she feels like she is the Polynesian girl version of Ryan Seacrest. And she really found her calling behind a bullhorn, I guess. Then she tells him about Angie Harrington being there and how she didn't take any accountability for anything. So coach Shaw activated, like I think it points his volume of his voice got up to seven, 7.5, maybe like passioned. Real passionate, this guy. So he says, it upsets me more than you'll ever know that a grown man would stoop this low. Talking about Chris Harrington. He says, you just jumped on a bandwagon of going to, to make these horrible character assassination attempts about you, Jen, and he piles it on? What these people will never understand is which straw broke the camel's back? And which post is the one that caused you to say, I'm tired of it, and you hurt yourself, or you do something that you can't come back from? So then Coach Shaw says uh, that he has the most forgiving heart usually, but the only way he's going to be able to forgive this situation is if Chris makes as public an apology to Jen as he did with the statements and the opinions that he made about her, of which I don't think he did, but the handle. Okay. The handle. And also to keep that apology up as long as he kept up the account. Coach says that there have been multiple times that he's found Jen lying around in the fetal position because of something that somebody said about her on social media. And then he says, I don't think she's really equipped to handle so much hate. So Jen then tells Coach Shaw about how hurt she was about Heather just blowing it off and how Heather then sent flowers the next day. And we see the flowers and they describe them as Heather's sorry I wasn't sorry, but now I am flowers. <laughs> the coach really lays it down for Jen and says that, Jen, you need to tell people how you feel in the moment. And if their response is something that you don't feel is justified, then maybe it's time to find a new damn friend. Woo! All right, sir. Put me in, coach. I'm ready to play. (laughs) I gotta go. Um, So Lisa and Whitney get together. Lisa brings a box of hot tamales and a Diet Coke, a big gulp of Diet Coke. That's a psychotic order. That is like, ugh, hot tamales and a spicy Diet Coke with lemon? Ugh. She's out of control. And this is the type of shit that I said, like, Lisa Barlow's not a real person. Because who? Yuck um they're talking about their healing journey and and their other people's divorces but then lisa starts talking about heather and how she's like in full defense mode still not understanding what's going on here and she's like you know i've been trying to work on my relationship with heather and i was only trying to set the record straight on twitter with regard to her dad and really Heather's dad should be off limits to Heather, and I only used Heather's dad to tell the truth about me because Heather used her dad to tell a lie about me. And I've done nothing to to uh, not merit being friends, and I've done nothing for anybody to say. You know, like, oh, who doesn't want to be friends with Lisa? (laughs) It's like, well, you said that, (laughs) and then she said she was embarrassed for everybody who raised their hand. (laughs) Lisa's wild. I'm embarrassed for them because I deserve better than that. <laughs> That's not how that works, Lisa, but okay. Lisa says in a confessional that Heather has this sort of narrative that if, like, you disagree with it, then she'll just cut people out of her life. So then Whitney talks about how she's in this really great area with Heather and how she hates it, but maybe she just should believe what Heather said about losing her forever. Then she says that, Heather has not reached out to her about Justin losing his job yet. They're just really disconnected and it feels like they're on shaky ground. So the episode ends with Whitney continuing to talk to Heather. She goes over to Heather's and they're supposed to, you know, get bad weather back together again. But in my opinion, Whitney ruins it immediately. But being like, yeah, I just felt like, you know, even coming over here is like, I'm chasing you, Heather. And Heather's like, why would you even say it? Like, that doesn't mean anything, right? Like, you don't have to christ the crown by coming over to my house. And Whitney's like, I've just been trying to deal with a lot of things since Phoenix. I found out that I've been abused and traumatized. And Heather's like, listen, I didn't go about it the right way when we were in Phoenix, but Whitney says that there have been things that happened since then and calls out Heather for not reaching out once Justin lost his job. And Heather's looking at her like, I, this is first time information for me. I had no idea. And then Whitney starts talking about how distant she's felt. But Heather's like, I'm just confused because you showed up to my choir uh, audition with a whole dance routine. That doesn't really feel like the actions of somebody who's feeling distant or like we're on shaky ground with our friendship. So then Heather starts getting sarcastic and is like, well, great. I'm glad you could show up and be a hero and be there for me that I've just been this asshole for you to you for two weeks now. But Whitney's like, it's not like that. But in a confessional, Whitney says that this reaction is what was stopping her from confronting or talking to Heather in the first place. Because, you know, when things get uncomfortable, Heather just shuts down, which is what Lisa said. And then Heather asks Whitney if she feels caught in between her loyalty to Heather and Lisa. And Whitney's like, no, but I can kind of understand Lisa's perspective. Like we're not hearing what she's trying to say it um, because Lisa's trying to have to defend herself. So Heather's like, I can't even believe that you're trying to bring up something that hurt me. Like, you're walking into my house to accuse me of not being there for you in a crisis that I didn't even know about. So that's not fair. And I'm crushed that you would take this opportunity to exploit me and make me look like a bad friend to you because I didn't find out on social media that you were going through all of this. Like, I'm in trouble for something that I never even heard. (laughs) And then she tells Whitney, like, I don't want to sit here with you. You're my best friend. You're my cousin. And you've explained to me how I shouldn't be hurt by what Lisa did that should be clear to you like really clear to you and the fact that like you want to try to talk things out on behalf of Lisa is really offensive to me but Whitney says every time I bring up Lisa you act like I'm on her side and what was the lie what was the lie that Lisa told so Heather is like done She goes into a room and closes the door. Uh, Whitney tries to follow after her and Heather opens the door, but only to toss her mic back at production and be like, get the fuck out of my house. And so the episode ends with Whitney, who's had a lipstick stain on her jacket this whole time on the shoulder, uh, just, you know, taking, taking her heels and leaving. That was it. I feel like that might be the official end of, of, of bad weather. I don't know how they get back. Well, they haven't come back in real time. They're still fighting and fussing with each other. (laughs) y'all, we're so blessed. You know, we are so blessed. We need to be aware of that and, and remind ourselves we do. Thank you guys so much for listening. You guys have a great weekend. Thank me for speaking.